Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A busy weekend of racing saw MotoGP arrive in America for the fourth round of the World Championship. A resurfaced Kota after complaints the track was far too bumpy and dangerous after last year's race saw a few of those issues ironed out, but not all. However, it was Ducati dominance in qualifying and from Jorge Martin who took pole, but a stunning performance from Anea Bastianini saw the Italian rider showcase his stunning form around the Texan track to take the lead in the closing stages from Jack and become the first double winner in 2022. Mark Marquez also returned to action after missing Argentina due to his double vision returning following his huge crash in Indonesia and the Spaniard proved why he is paid the big bucks. All that and more on the way. The recording date is Monday the 11th of April. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewen and Keith. Well, it was Ducati dominance from qualifying, and then in the race, it was dominance up front as well, but another win on the board for Anea Bastianini. It's going to be one of those years, isn't it, Harry? I've got to say that we're just never going to be able to predict what's going on. Suzuki looked good as well. Obviously, Ducati have got it all dialed in at Kota, which is you know, 1.2 miles of, I'll call it a straight. It's really a straight with a kink in it, of course, but you can hold it flat out. First, then the track. Um, yeah, you were right. They dialed out most of the bumps and it's acceptable, which is all you could achieve really with the size of that place. You've got you. It's just enormous. And it, we know that they've struggled with funding over the last few years. That's a big issue. Um, so getting it where it is, where it, where it was this last weekend was a, was a good effort. You've got to say that. I was disappointed at the size of the crowd, I've got to say as well, that were at trackside. Um, you know, that that for me is always a bad sign. America lives on money. You know, they are a commercial enterprise, first and foremost, everywhere you go. So if it's not making enough money, that always puts, you know, things that, that threatens the, the longevity of something like Cota. So hopefully they'll get over whatever the problems were as far as that's concerned. Ducati, I couldn't believe it when I looked at the, um, the sheet. As you know, I was away working at, um, at Goodwood over the weekend for the members meeting and, uh, and every, every opportunity I got, I was sneaking a look at uh, what was going on at, at uh, Cota and Ducati, the top five, uh, just where Ducati want to be. It's where they should have been all year, really. It, you know, it's where we expected them to be all year, being dominant with, the, with eight bikes on the grid and all the data you get from that. Bastianini, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's got it all. He's got speed, but most of all, and this is the key, particularly where tyres are always an issue at, at uh, the Circuit of the Americas. He's got that smooth application that keeps the tyres 
in that narrow window, operating window. And that's what's the key to winning a race overall. By the end of the race, you need to get there with something that's still working consistently. And he had, he looked very, very good indeed. Jack Miller, good to see him back where he should be, up the front. Um, Mark Marquez, though, gets my my award of the day. I, you know, people are going to groan. Oh, Mark Marquez, you know. I mean, he hadn't ridden a bike for how long? And he comes to the Circuit of the Americas. We know it's his track and all the rest of it, and everybody blows it up as being a Marquez track and a Honda track. But he rode brilliantly. He completely, I don't know what the reasons were or, or what he hadn't selected. He obviously forgotten how to use the clutch or the, the launch control, whatever, he, you know, something somewhere. I'm sure Pete's followed it up since then. Um, but he ended up starting effectively last and having to hack his way through. And that's not easy. You know, you, every time you meet another rider further up the field, He's, he's going faster because he's a he's qualified better. He's got more pace. So Marquez was having to hack his way through. So it was a great ride from Marquez, albeit a little bit unheralded, I suppose. The thing at the start, Keith, as you say, I mean, imagine you're Mark Marquez. You've been out with injury. You're already, as he admitted, he's already at the back of his mind thinking, I don't want another accident here. And in fairness, he went the whole weekend without falling. I think we should say that. So he did... You know, he did stay on the right side of that. But there he is on the grid and he sees an alarm on his dash. So you can imagine the tension then. Now, he still went ahead with the start, as we saw. As he said, the bike sort of, it just sort of went crazy. There was, it was like the pit limiter was on. That, that's basically the best way to describe the problem he was having. There was just no power. As Keith says, he was, he was a distant last by turn one. Luckily for him, once the whole, the ride height device is disengaged at the first corner. So whether it was connected directly to that, we don't know. Um, Mark just said that it's a technical issue and Honda pretty much know what it is, but he didn't go any further than that. Anyway, after turn one, the bike was pretty much back at normal. So he was able, as he said, a different kind of race started for him then. And then you're on one of the most physical tracks of the calendar, having to fight your way through the whole field. So a fantastic performance by him. I mean, he lost, I think it was four seconds on that opening lap. He finished six seconds from the winner. I mean, you know, even just in those terms, he would have the pace for the podium. But then look at the time he lost passing all these other riders and sometimes more than once. We saw he had a bit of an incident at turn one, went really deep. So, yeah, I mean, Mark had the pace to win that race. And that's going to be a massive confidence boost for him, given everything that's happened to him so far this year. Other thing you've got to remember as well, when you've uh, when you fluff the start like that and you've got to work your way through everyone else, you're using up more tyre. And tyres are an issue at Kota. He will have had to have pushed those tyres harder than he perhaps would have done if he'd have started with the main men at the front. And I think that uh, it was a great ride from Marcus. I'm not taking anything away from Bastianini and co. Um, I think Bastianini did a brilliant, brilliant job. And the Suzuki's did as well. Rins looked feisty. I mean, there were, it's funny, isn't it? There's a couple of, you know, the, the, the differences in the bikes where you can make the passes depending on what bike you're on. There's only really a couple of corners that you can force it to fit around there and, and try and jam it underneath. And with, if you're on a Suzuki or a Yamaha, turn 11 onto the back straight, onto that big long straight, is virtually a waste of time as a pass because you've made the pass, you turn it on the straight, and then you know you're going to get passed by the time you get down to turn 12. The next bottom gear, how many? I think it's five bottom gear corners at Bloody Cota. It's a tip, sorry, Harry, it's a typical car track. You know, five bottom gear corners. Who wants bottom gear? Bottom gears for poodling around in the paddock, not for bloody racing. Annoying. <laughs> bloody cars, bloody four wheels. <laughs> um, just, just coming back on on, on Marquez though, because um, as you highlighted there, you know, great rides from multiple drivers, Rins as well. But this just highlights 
he's on another level, right, Marquez, to come back and and be this competitive after another case of, of um, the double vision. Could he have won this race if, you know, things had worked out a little bit differently? If he hadn't had the slow start, if he'd been a little bit further up, could he have won this race? I think woulda, shoulda, coulda don't really count, does it, in racing? He didn't, and that's the fact. Um, and and that, that's the great thing about motorbike racing. I think that he did a great job, and it will have heartened a whole lot. I, every time you look back at Pitwall and saw Alberto Puig, you looked in to see Sandy Hernandez and all the other, you know, all the other crew, they are just, I mean, what they're going through, they're, they're like parents, aren't they, going through hell watching what's going on, let alone obviously his dad. You know, it's kind of like, please just get to the end of the race with a good ride safely and let's move on. You know, it's a case of, it's, it's got to be surely in their minds one step at a time. Give the bloke what he wants. He didn't fall down. Good point. You know, he had a, a weekend without any further injury or any further threat of injury. It really is just one foot in front of the other at the minute. You get the feeling with Marquez. I mean, he's a brilliant young man. Well, he's not so so young anymore, but he's he's a brilliant man. And he's got the potential to win. And yes, he might have been. Out, he certainly looked feisty enough to be able to try for the win if he'd got launched with them. Um, and I think that's the point. I mean, the threat is there, and there is every team and every rider that won't discount that threat. They're not thinking to themselves, <laughs> he's got double vision, he's got this, he's got whatever it is. They're all thinking to themselves. This guy, when he's back on it, he is going to be beside me. He's going to be, uh, you know, the threat. Um, looking at the, the the sheet, I love to look at the sheet because we talked about it last time. The amount of different winners and podium men there have been. You know, we're only talking about five points between Bastianini and Rins, six points between Rins and Espargaro. Sadly for him, it didn't work out. Back to back races, of course. Four points from Espargaro to Mir. Two points between Mir and Quattararo. Binder two points and further back. I mean, it's so tight at the top at the minute. Um, and we've got a lot of races. And if Marquez goes on a sequence of 25-point wins, who's to say he couldn't still sneak up there? Not me. <laughs> the, the fact that he, Mark obviously goes so well at this track, he was saying, also helped him to sort of really pinpoint what he needs from this bike. You know, because he, he, he understands the coach track so well, this was trying for his eighth win, wasn't he, out of, out of nine attempts. So it, it really helped him to just be a bit more precise with Honda and say, yeah, I'm sure of this now. This is what we need to work on. He also said that they made some progress during the weekend with the bike. We know he's been struggling for that front end feeling and things like that. And some of the ideas have been tried by the other Honda riders. And he said that they seem to like it as well. And he said, you know, that's a good sign also that, that things that work for me also work for the other Hondas. We know this new bike, it's a, it's a big radical change, this shift to rear grip, but it, it's been fast at some places, no doubt about it. But as Mark says, it's not work, it needs more consistency. They need to be up on the podium every weekend if they're going to fight for this championship. So that's what they're working on. Massive confidence, Bruce. I mean, the speed is there. We're four races in. Mark, we know good reasons. He's missed two races. He hasn't been on the podium yet. Banyaya hasn't been on the podium yet. Mir hasn't been on, haven't been on the podium yet either. 10 podium guys without those three. But still, I think coming into Europe now, it's going to be a big a big change in terms of the type of circuits. There's some test days coming up after the races. So it, it's building for Mark, and that's what he needed. He had this massive setback early on. This was a big step, I think, to building back up. And he's only two points behind teammate Polis Bargro, which is the best Honda. Yeah, and we should say Paul Espargaro, I, I mean, he said it was the hardest race of his life. He was sick all weekend. There's some pictures of him you'll see on the website. And I mean, he looks, yeah, it, he, he didn't think he could last the race, um, but he did He did dig in and finish the race. So, 
yeah, a difficult one for pole. But yeah, as Keith says, in terms of the championship, it's close, of course. But yeah, the Hondas, they're, they're, they're definitely playing catch up at the moment in terms of the standings. Well, it certainly was a, a blistering ride, wasn't it, from uh, Mar- Marquez. It was, though, uh, Ducati dominant, certainly in qualifying. The top five qualifying positions occupied by all Ducatis, Jorge Martin on top. Now, we haven't actually seen this level of dominance yet this year, Keith, but we were kind of expecting it, I suppose. But it, it's come now in America. They obviously obviously suited the track very well. Jorge Martin, we know, is incredibly fast. But crucially, Jack Miller up there, he needed a weekend like this too. Well, he did. And I think that the, you, the, the modifications to the, to the Ducati, um, particularly this year with the shapeshifter at the front as well, they've got it working. You know, it couldn't be built better for it, could it really? I mean, we've got a bottom gear corner onto a 1.2 kilometre straight and we've got a, a bottom gear corner off of it. So, I mean, it's 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 a blast from, from virtually nothing to virtually nothing with a bit of horsepower in the middle. I mean, now that they've got that front end shapeshifter working as well, in the past, what you would end up with is as the bike sat down at the back, it would alter the aero. Now that the bike sits down flat, um, it doesn't alter the aero. So the, the aero platform, if you like, stays consistent through the through the um entire straight line as well so they've got it sorted really i'll be glad to see the bloody back of them oh yeah, they, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I, I i'm all for prototype stuff and i think that, that me and pete will probably argue about this a little bit but um i'm all for prototypes and and bearing in mind this is the top line of our motorcycle classes you know world superbikes are based on road bikes this stuff is not motor gp is the the class the cream of the crop Every little innovation you can think within the rules is on there, but I, I kind of fail to understand where, you know, shape shifting and, and, and this kind of suspension manipulation will benefit anything in, in a road or future environment. Um, it just complicates things for, for a little bit more of an advantage on a racetrack. And we're already at a point where we've got to look to try and slow these things down a little bit before we make some of the Grand Prix racetracks that we're already on redundant because they become unsafe because we're the velocity into or through a corner is too much and the barriers are too close and the tracks can't be altered enough to be able to compensate for that. And we we are getting there with a, with a few Grand Prix tracks now. Yeah, MotoGP is the safest motorcycle form there is because the tracks we race on are the very, very safest that there are in the world. So shape-shifting when it's out of the window um i think we'll all be glad to see the back of that and it's expensive to keep making these kind of innovations from a from a team perspective as well but it cota really did suit the ducati um and i think that that's why we saw such dominance early on the ducati just works perfectly well in that environment but Pete, in the end, the lead Ducati was third, and oh, I should have—that's a lie. Sorry, take that back. Because obviously, Bastianini won. The lead, the lead GP twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the one. That's what I meant. But the, the Ducatis fell down in the race overall compared to where they were on their qualifying. Yeah, it was pace. a strange one with the top speed. So you had uh, Bastianini was the quickest over the average of the top speeds, but you had several Ducati riders after after the race complaining that they didn't have enough speed. And Marini was one of the worst affected. I think he was on average 6K slower than, than Bastianini, but also Martin and, and Miller. And so what happened then was they they worked the tyres harder, and that was why you saw them drop back. Now, that Marini said they've tried everything. It's, it's really frustrating for him. He's, he's a bigger guy, but he doesn't think that should be the reason. He said it's a strange one because he doesn't feel it on the bike. 
it doesn't feel like the bike's lacking power. But he said, when you look at the data from first to fifth gear, he's losing. And then from fifth to sixth, it's okay. So, and we saw in the race, as I say, other riders seem to have this. Miller said he got blitzed by Bastianini on the straight when he got past. Now, Bastianini is a lighter rider. So, okay, maybe that's some of it. But there is definitely some sort of, you know, they're definitely not, they haven't fine-tuned the GP22 yet. We know that they've been working on the electronics, the power delivery. And I think what we saw in the race and what you're highlighting there, Harry, is that there are things to solve with this, that it's not working perfectly. And um, yeah, they, they were surprised by that. And it just made them work the tires a little bit harder, as Keith was saying. Once you, you know, the tires are so important. Once you start to use up the tire, you're in trouble. And that's why the Pramax dropped back and things like that. Let me ask you a question, Pete. I mean, this is a bit of devil's, devil's advocate, if you like. I mean, we've all... The thing about MotoGP, as I've said before, it's the, 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 the pinnacle of everything. And we've seen all these developments that have come on, and we've got eight bikes of Ducatis on, on track. That takes an enormous amount of technical management behind the scenes, the amount of data acquisition, the amount of data, you know, working your way through it. Maybe Ducati don't have the personnel. Maybe we're in a situation here why we're seeing such a spread of performance is because they've just not got enough people to decipher everything that they've got amongst the teams. And I wonder if we're in a position here, and it might be something that we can't find it out, and they won't be telling you. You're only going to be able to find it out if you if you manage to find a, a you know someone's got a loose mouth within Ducati. But it certainly seems to me, and there won't be one. It seems to me that um, that that maybe this data crossover between all the teams is not really yet happening. They're all working on their own thing and uh, then they're not actually quite as coordinated in the back room as as, as they might be just just a question i i, I mean no, it's, yeah, I think, it's one of the only things i can think of yeah i think it's a good point keith i think uh, i asked jack miller at the start of the weekend you know have you got a base setting for this bike yet and he said basically that they're still working on that this is and it's the same with honda as well that and it's no coincidence as you're saying keith the two factories that have made the biggest changes are still sort of searching around a bit it's a bit hit and miss isn't it and i think as the season goes on, we're going to get a few post-race tests. Are we going to see them sort of put everything together? We've had this technical freeze, and it's been the factories that traditionally, isn't it, Ducati and Honda, who are quite aggressive with development. Have they just sort of all of those things that have been stored up, have they sort of unleashed them, and they just haven't had the time with a, a normal winter testing schedule to get everything sorted? I think that's certainly a, a valid point, Keith, in that, in that sense, and it's going to take them more time. Um, the question is, when will they? You know, when will that crossover occur where they get all of these new parts and the new bikes working? Will it come too late, or will you have someone like Bastianini, who has a bike that's pretty well sorted? And that wasn't the reason he won. I mean, as Jack Miller said, look, you know, Bastianini was good at the end of the race, saving tires, even last year on the GP19. So it's not about the bike here. He's good at saving that tire, as he says. He doesn't use the rear grip. He's he's just got a talent there. But even so, that bike is a known package. He's, if he can rack up the points in this early part of the season while these other factories, or let's say the factory bikes, are still trying to get themselves sorted, you know, they're going to have to try and catch him. Yeah, I think you made a good point in there as well, Pete, was the, the fact is, uh, and, and I've talked with you guys about it before, but you know, I, I never really understood why. When we got to the end of the tech freeze, they didn't allow, you know, the, the manufacturers didn't argue for more time to test stuff. You know, it might have got vetoed purely simply because Yamaha didn't have anything anyway, so it didn't really matter to them. Maybe Suzuki was similar. Um, so maybe it would have only been a Ducati that would have benefited from any extra test time. And behind the scenes, again, you're not going to find out if anybody actually did ask for it and was not back for it. So it's something that we, we can only speculate on. But it seems strange to me we came to the end of a two-year tech freeze 
um, and we only had a minute amount of test time in yeah and half of that was at Mandalika which was a brand spanking new track with breaking up surface and absolutely of no use at all when it came to comparison of, of, of data um, so I never really understood that I always thought that the, the prudent thing to have done would have been to have, have got to the, the the cutoff point where you have to run what you brung you know about now you know when we when we when we first get into Europe let's get four rounds in you can you can still do whatever you want to do with everything until we get to to this point and then it's um it's it's technically frozen again for the rest of the year but but um again it's, it, it would have had to have got agreement across the manufacturers and maybe just one of them Yamaha or Suzuki presumably would have would have cut that out I'm really disappointed that, that Aprilia didn't make the, the that step I thought they would make after the last weekend um quite a long straight in Argentina that Aprilia looked really really good in in Argentina and yet just didn't seem to shine here at all I mean, warm-up. Okay, sorry, warm-up. It looked good in warm-up. <laughs> Vinales set the third fastest lap of the race. That, that, that was their only really positive thing from the race, wasn't it? As you say, Keith, they didn't make the impression that we were all expecting. People were tipping them to, to sort of push through the field, a bit like the Suzuki's did. I mean, it, it, what Suzuki's didn't really get the good start, did they, that, that they needed from starting that far back? They were back in eighth place, I think, Rins and, uh, and Mia. So it didn't look good for them. It was a really impressive charge to come through past all those Ducatis, wasn't it? Um, under those circumstances where you're not gaining on the first lap. Um, but yeah, Aprilia, I mean, Vinales was happy. He It was completely different contrasting opinions between the two Aprilia riders. Vinales was happy. He said, look, it was Saturday ruined it for us. If we'd have started better, we had the pace here. Potentially top three, he thought. V uh, Espargaro, on the other hand, I mean, we know he, does, he said it's his worst track of the year. He hates, he hates the place, doesn't track. he? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what he said? He said, someone said, you know, did you learn anything from this weekend to carry forward? He went, you know what, he said, this is going to sound silly, but I just want to forget this entire weekend. I want to take the bike, forget any changes we made to it, take the bike as it was before we arrived here and start with that in Portimao. So, yeah, I mean, that I think that says what, says everything about his weekend. So, yeah, Vinales does like the place, so that's, you know, maybe that helped. But so there were signs there, but again, it didn't happen the way that we thought it would and the way that certainly in pace terms, they looked like they could have had a much stronger race. Weird season, though, isn't it? These between all the manufacturers in these opening four races, maybe arguably Aprilia is the only one that perhaps has exceeded our expectations. I don't know what you think, Keith. You know, for for the start of the season, I think Ducati and Honda. I think we would have expected a bit more from their factory teams. Obviously, Bastianini, fantastic, but the GP twenty two, you know, hasn't won a race yet. Suzuki, they've made a step, but the results haven't really sort of backed up the size of the step shall we say that it looks like in terms of the top speed Yamaha not really changed KTM fortunately hit a bit hit and miss a bit like last year I don't know it's really only a prettier that, that have come out of these first four rounds is as let's say a clear step on last year and they've still got concessions which means that that step hasn't stopped yet which is the which is the important part of it I think I mean I I'm wishing for a prettier because I think that the you know, they had such a great weekend in Argentina. You just want that to move on. I mean, I, you can't afford to have a track you don't like. You know, Alicia Spargaro, you, know, you can't afford to have a track you don't like. It's just not allowed. Um, uh, you've got to work your way through it. I mean, Maverick Vinales is putting in a, a, you know, a fast time. Yeah, great. We've seen that so many times from him, though, haven't we? Late in a race. I mean, 
you know, a late race pace is 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 great, but you you really want to get to the end of the race where you've everything on your motorcycle and your body has expired. You've used every piece of useful um, motorcycle or energy, um, and it's all done with at the at the end of the race. You don't want to be still able to to cruise around at uh, the kind of pace that we've seen Maverick do before. He does have this habit of still having pace at the end of a race, and you think, well, why didn't you use that a bit earlier? Just a critical comment, I suppose. But Alessio Spargo can't afford to have a, you know, you can't have a one track that you don't work at. You've got to work that one out. Um, seemingly, well, not he, was, uh, he was only a few tenths behind his teammate in the end at the chequered flag uh, come the uh, the end of the race. But uh, yeah, one of the races that Vinales has beaten at Spargo this year. So improvement clearly coming from the other side of the garage too overall. Um, you mentioned uh, the Suzuki's as well. Uh, Rins and Mir fell down initially, clawed their way back. Mir in fourth, Alex Rins in second. And Keith, uh, first podium for Rins this year. Uh, I think it was the test rider, Sylvain Gantoli, saying uh, he walked into the garage at the start of this season and there was just something different about Alex Rins this year. He just seems a lot more focused, a lot more determined. Are, are you seeing that as well? I think so. I think that qualifying third row is never going to help matters. I mean, you, you, you've got up, you've come up into that bottom gear corner at the top of the hill um, and, and that's going to be a problem. I mean, two podiums on the trot now for Rins. Uh, he likes Kota. <laughs> So he's the opposite to Alacious Fargo. He goes well at Kota. So um, I think you're allowed to like tracks. You're just not allowed to hate them. <laughs> That's, as a professional rider, you've got to like. You've, you've got to get on with everything. Everything in the entire uh, Grand Prix calendar. Um, he gets on well there. So he's had two podiums on the trot now. Argentina and here. Uh, it was a good ride, but I think they've still got to sort out their their starts and their qualifying. You know, to be on the third road, coming up to that bottom gear corner when it all comes down into narrow venturi of motorbikes at the top of the hill, it can all go wrong. Your race can finish within 100 yards. You know, if you get caught up in the domino effect up there, which which many do, it didn't this time around, but but um, you can you can have it taken away from you. Uh, qualifying is very important. I mean, it's uh, and nowadays qualifying is qualifying starts on a Friday morning. You know, you're qualifying for qualifying. Free practice is no longer free practice. Free practice is to get you through into qualifying two. You don't want to have to go via qualifying one because there's only two places um, that push you forward into the main qualifying session. So, And there are many riders in qualifying one who can nick those two final places. Um, and the last thing you want to end up on is the fifth row of the grid. One thing the race did show, Rins, is that they still need to work a bit on stopping the wheelies out of the slow corners. We, we know that they didn't make the progress with the wings over the winter. It was really the only part of the bike that didn't, the developments didn't work as they expected, should we say. So they've still got that to come. They can still make one update to the wings. But that was where he felt, racing with all the other guys on Sunday, that he was losing a bit, was just the, the wheeling out of the corners. For me, a, Again, he, he he built his pace. We saw in Qatar, he was quite frustrated because he didn't have anything at the end of the race, which was completely unlike what we've seen from Mir and the Suzuki in previous years. We saw it came back in Argentina and this was again, you know, this happened again on Sunday. So he's, although he hasn't been on the podium yet and he hasn't won a race since 2020, it's building confidence again for him as well. So he, he's another one that goes into this European season, you know, believing that they have a pretty solid package in place. And it's time now for, what did they used to call it? I think it was Julian Ryder used to call it, but I don't know where he got the phrase from. It's the ground war. Once we get rid of these early four races that are all fairly unique and not really repeatable as the rest of the year comes on track-wise, 
we get to the European ground war where the business really starts from now on in. And, uh, you know, the Yamahas will come to the fore. You know, we're going to start seeing, you know, some tracks that suit them a little better as well. So it, it ain't all over yet. We've got a long, long way to go. Oh, the amount of times we say that in every podcast, <laughs> long, long way to go, early days. Uh, we'll come back to a, a bit of MotoGP in a minute. I want to move on to some Moto2 action, if I may be so bold. Tony Arbolino rode uh, a near-perfect race, pushing all the way to the flag for a, a first Moto2 victory in the uh, Texan Sun. Ayagura came home second, and Jake Dixon takes his first Grand Prix podium in third, Keith, I think that's a very happy podium. I was going to say, for all of us, I don't think you would, you know, would you have denied any of them any places? No, you wouldn't. The, the three that were on the podium, fantastic, great stuff. I'm going to focus on the Brit. Uh, Tony Arbolino is a lovely lad, so so brilliant for him. I'm happy for him. But Jake Dixon, you know, if you think back to Texas, I don't know how many years ago now, you know, this was the point where he may not have had a Grand Prix career anymore at this particular point. You know, we ended up with, uh, you know, he was replaced after he banged his head and, uh, and you know, it looked, you know, everyone was going, well, is Dixon going to be able to continue? Will they drop him? We are now seeing, you know, what Jake Dixon was, was clearly capable of. It's happening. He's on the podium now. He's a great little rider. He's a great personality. Um, and he is where he should be. You know, it's the time in his career. It's his time. It's, it's time for him to be more on the podium. He and... Sam Lowe's are right next to each other in, in the, the World Championship standings. I can't remember what the actual point situation is. 38 points between Dixon and your, and Celestino Vietti, who leads the championship at the moment. But I think there's there's only three points between Jake Dixon and Sam Lowe's at the moment. Lowe's, he was unlucky getting tangled up in that bloody opening lap, bloody you know, melee, um, which just kind of underlines what I said a little bit earlier on. If you end up with a start where you, you're tangled up with loads of other riders, it can all go completely wrong. You know, imagine how some Kiat Chantra is feeling about it all as well. He's been having a good run and that's all ended for him at, uh, at uh, the, the Circuit of the Americas. I think Dixon, Dixon's in a good position and he should be. I mean, he deserves it. He's worked hard for it. And so podium finish, brilliant. A lot of, lot of setbacks for Jake, haven't there, along the way to get to this point. And I think I think everyone, as you say, he's so pleased he's suddenly sort of managed to break through and, and get the result done. He's been looking like he could do it so many times and, and, and things have happened in the races and, it, he, you know, he's, he's crashed out or something. So uh, you could see the emotion when he was speaking about it afterwards, what it means to him. So it's going to be really interesting to see now. Now he's got that result under his belt. It's, it's got to be a massive boost for him. And uh, we saw the championship leader crashing out. Connect uh, crashed out as well from the lead, so there was a, some some guys up in the standings that made some big mistakes. Lowe's, as you say, wasn't his fault. Chantra's got a long lap penalty for the next race for that incident. So, <laughs> as we keep saying, there's a long way to go. And if Jake is now, you know, getting this result and he can build on it, I mean, anything's possible this year for him. <laughs> I think and... anything is possible this year is absolutely the phrase for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible, all was possible for Cameron Bovier, but oh. heartbreak, oh. absolute heartbreak in the final lap, in the last few corners, losing the bike, off he went, and the top five position gone. Pole Keep position, heartbreak. pole position for Bovier and the, the American team. You know, like, honestly, that was, 
you know what the Americans are like. I mean, you, you can either like them for it or hate them for it, but they are really behind their their guys. You know, and to be starting from pole position at the American Grand Prix, the, the, you know, it's a very, very special moment. Now, all the main men are there, Schwantz, Rainey, you know, all at trackside watching on. All these legends are at the track. And to, to be carrying the flag is a big deal for, for an American. And, you know, you're right. I mean, the top five and the slip out of it on the last lap, you've got a feel for Cameron Bobier. But he's actually, I mean, he, he's, he's one of the bravest riders in the fact that he could have had a, a, a quite a late stage in his career, really. He could have had an easy life in America, earning big money, doing tracks he knows, thrashing the pants off quite good riders. Instead, he gathered it all up and went Grand Prix racing. He, he bit the bullet. You don't earn, you know, he's not going to earn anything like the money going Moto2 racing as he would be staying in doing, you know, Moto America, Wayne Rainey's series in, in, in the States. So it was a big ballsy effort to come out and pitch against people that were, A, going to be slightly dismissive. Um, and you, you're going to have to fight for every piece of respect for every inch of track Cameron Bobier has had to fight for. And this was could have been the pinnacle of all that effort. And in the end, it fell away in the last lap, like you say, five corners from the end. I mean, uh, when Cameron Bobier first came to the tracks, I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be a test. You know, he's quite a big, he was a big name already. And he had, you know, presumably a fairly large ego that went with that. And he arrived in a Moto2 paddock. And we've seen a few pretty big names come to the Moto2 paddock and get absolutely their asses handed to them. And uh, I wondered whether Bobier was going to be the next in line as far as that's concerned. Completely not. That guy deserves to be in World Championship. He's a World Championship contender. Um, and hopefully he will go on from here to uh, to continue that uh, momentum in an upwards upwards manner. Shame for him. But how many times has that happened at your home Grand Prix? You know, we've seen it so many times. A, a real shame, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, not a dry eye in the house on that one, watching uh, him... Well, I think hands on his helmet, walking towards his bike. It was just, yeah, you could you couldn't write that. But uh, what was also uh, noted earlier on, Pete, uh, the crash for Pedro Acosta um, sliding across the track in in the first sector. It's been noted before that you know that is not particularly safe, especially when riding in a group. And it was you know by some miracle that sliding across the track like that and not being collected by another rider. Uh, scary though and that's gonna pose some questions going forward do you think i mean yeah as you say seeing him sliding and the guy you're just hoping the guys behind miss him don't you and it's such a fast section of the track i mean what do you do isn't it is it's a difficult one what do you do to the track i know it's a bit like the silverstone the maggots beckett's complex isn't it those sort of curves and you know could they put something on the track to stop the riders coming back across difficult isn't it you know when you've got people on that trajectory where they're going to continue and rejoin the track in that way it's yeah uh, i mean thankfully it all worked out but um and, and another accident for acosta as you say he's another you know he came into this year with so much expectation i mean topped that official test in portimao so a big race coming up for him and it's not been the start of the year for him uh, Aldegare, another rookie star. He was another one that didn't finish the race on Sunday, of course. So it wasn't, I mean, there was a long DNF list in the Moto2 race, in, in fairness. A lot of riders sort of crashed out. And um, Spargo actually mentioned in the MotoGP race, he said, look, I mean, this shows that nobody's messing around in MotoGP. There's no bad riders there. You know, look at the track conditions. Look at how many guys fell in the Moto2 race. Look in MotoGP. So, 
it was it was a difficult day, but yeah, scary moment for Acosta for sure. Certainly. Well, uh, let's move on to the Moto3 action as well, which uh, was a little later because of the rejigged schedules that happened after the Grand Prix. But uh, experience prevailed, Keith, in the form of Jaume Messier, rode a, a smart race to claim victory in Moto3. Uh, Dennis Foggia came home second uh, and a bit of a weekend to forget for the likes of Sergio Garcia and Izan Guevara. Yeah, I think Moto3, it's a funny thing, isn't it, going at the end of the day in the way that they had to. That that does throw you right out as a rider. You have a process when you arrive at the track, the time you arrive at the track, what you do during the day, what you eat during the day. You know, your whole mindset is a, is a completely different thing. It would have been the same for the Moto2 guys to some extent as well. It's, you know, obviously MotoGP stays in that framework of, of television markets around the world and so on and so forth. Um, the timing of it. So Moto3 being last of the day, um, I mean, there is an argument for saying it should be the last one of the day because it will keep the crowds there, that's for sure, because it's usually the best race of the day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, usual suspects really, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a, it's a is it a Moto3 track, I wonder, with all them great big long straights and all that slipstreaming going on all the time? I mean, it, it, yeah, Messiah did what he's got to do and, and took the win. I'm just trying to look out, work out if there was anything that really... You know, there's, there's quite big gaps at the head of the Moto3. You know, Foggia now 16 points ahead of Garcia, who slips a bit. Andrea Migno, of course, um, 17 points back. Migno ended up with that podium. That's pretty handy for him as well. He needed that to keep him in contention. But after that, Jaume Messia, I mean, he's still only sixth in the championship. So it's it's, it's bumped him up a little bit. So he, he had to put that, that ride in. He needed those 25 points. I mean, definitely. I think it was his first win since the start of last year, wasn't it? So it's been a long time coming for Messiah there. And he needs to sort of, this is what's expected of him, isn't it? If you ride for Akiyo's team, it's basically a factory KTM team. People expect you to be at the front and fighting for the championship. So, you know, he's got to show that this wasn't a one-off, if you like. Migno, the the, the old dog, he still sort of made the attempt to, to win the race and it ended up costing him second place there. But I mean, he's still, he's back on the podium. He's obviously a two bad races with incidents so um as you mentioned Guevara jumped the start a bit of a nightmare for the Aspar team um, with Garcia then then crashing out as well so Foggia the guy that I guess you know the guy we expected to be the man to beat in terms of the championship he's now up there going into Europe now he's now in in first place with Garcia in second so yeah it, it's Moto3 mayhem isn't it um Diego Moyera the rookie the, the Brazilian rookie I mean he was having a good ride in the league group and just high sided on the last lap that was a, that was a real shame for him because you know impressive guy only his fourth race I mean you've got you've got uh, Mino on about his 140th race or something and and Moyera there just on his fourth race so you know one to watch for the future I think just um last year on on the Moto3 point this time, well, it wasn't, it wasn't this time last year, but last time out in Cota, of course, huge incident in Moto3 involving Dennis Onchu as well, and that got him a two-race ban, and uh, that was for, for basically weaving almost on the straights and slowing down, and it looked like at one point he was up to his old tricks again. Uh, what did you make of that incident, Keith? Uh, uh, it, has he learned from his mistake? He still, luckily, nothing happened, but still, it didn't look great watching it on the telly. They're like children, aren't they? You wonder, you know, how... You know, how how the teacher can can get them to start behaving you know it's, it seems inbuilt and they'll do anything to to try and uh, keep a position or take a position so 
I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they will have looked at it from from all angles. If he didn't get a penalty for it, then there would have been some kind of mitigating reason that um, somebody somewhere will have um, put forward as to why not. Um, personally, you know, I would say that that needs clamping down on all of the time. You know, somebody weaving as much as that, um, you need to get a penalty for it. You definitely do. And a scary moment earlier at the weekend with Alberto Sura, who sort of cut, or whether it was just a, a clash of lines, but on, on the same place on that back straight where we saw that huge accident last year, clash with another rider, ended up going sort of into the barrier. So a lucky escape there. The session was red flag, but I mean, um, I think he's got a wrist injury from that. So lucky escape really, because, but again, it showed what can happen when Moto3 bikes you know, make contact on these, on these straights and exactly why race direction is so keen to keep them from doing these sort of quick changes of direction, let's say, whether it's, you want to call it swerving or deliberate or it's deliberate or not. You know, the end result is if the two lines cross, it's a massive accident at those speeds. Now, this is something we've seen a lot in Moto3, Keith, but it also came up in MotoGP qualifying in particular. If we go back to that, we saw drivers deliberately slowing down, trying to get a tow. We had the likes of Alex Rins, who was absolutely furious with what's going going on. Alicia Spargo too, being, you know, he kept saying Alex Marquez and Morbidelli kept waiting for him and he was annoyed at himself because he felt like that contributed to him falling off in qualifying one. What did you make of all that? There's been calls by some of the riders, we need to change this qualifying format. Would a super pole type idea work better? Do we need to strictly in place, you know, a rider goes out, then five seconds later, the next rider goes out and that's how it should be done. What did you think? No, I think our qualifying system is really, really good. I think what's happened is, is we seem to have gone, we seem to have allowed ourselves to go into a two tier system. Moto3, Moto2 get penalized straight away for all that mucking about. MotoGP seem to get away with it. Now, if that's the case, you know, it needs dealing with. It is the case, actually. It's not if that's the case. It is the case. Clearly, MotoGP do not get penalised for messing around, waiting for a tow here and there, or being offline, waiting, you know, in the over on the hard shoulder, if you want. I can't remember what I call it now. <laughs> on the runoff areas, you know, sometimes you'll see a rider that will go on the runoff area and let everybody by. Um, there definitely seems to be a two-tier penalty system at the moment. Moto3, Moto2 get banged penalty for doing that but the GP don't and I wonder why that is it's it's you know it's not right and the likes of Rins if he had any influence would be able to 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 bring that down on Erta bring that down on the stewards make a noise about it but it definitely needs doing because we're seeing it more and more often and a slipstream at somewhere like Kota counts you will you know you're going to get a slipstream there you are going to get an advantage most tracks MotoGP don't need slipstreams. The, the bikes are so powerful and the way they lay, lay rubber and the way that they, they squirt out of corners, they don't really need a slipstream. It's, it's always handy to have a slipstream. It's going to give you some advantage, but, but it's a smaller advantage the bigger the bike, the bigger the horsepower. Um, but from a safety perspective, no, there shouldn't be bikes hanging around. There shouldn't be bikes on a, near a racing line going slowly. And we've seen what happens in Moto3 and Moto2, so it should be the same thing penalty-wise. For Moto GP, in my opinion, yeah, I think he's spot on with that. I think that that we're seeing Moto GP guys, as, as Rin said, behaving worse than Moto Three almost at times now. It, it seems they've, they've spotted a loophole, which is that people will only get penalties in Moto GP. It seems 
if you disturb a rider on a fast lap, we saw that with Quattararo and Miller in Argentina, didn't we? Where Miller was on a on a slow lap and Quattararo caught him on a fast lap. Miller got a penalty. That situation, you do get penalised. Where you don't get penalised is if you're not on a fast lap. So if you're Alicia Spargo, in his case, he was angry. You come out the pits and a load of riders wait for you to leave the pits and follow you out and then sit right behind you. Or as Keith says, they're sitting on the side of the track waiting for you to come out of the pits or, or start your lap. And then they drop behind you or alongside you. There's no penalty under the current situation anyway for doing that. And Aleish believes that's wrong. It should be more like Motive 3 where the riders, they, they get, I think it's 110%, isn't it? They have to be for their each sector. Once they get on track, you can't slow down. Unless you're falling off the bike, you're not allowed to slow down. You're not allowed to run off. And I think a lot of people would prefer to see that situation in MotoGP. I guess from the other side, we, we have seen that the race direction this year is they don't want to get involved they don't want to keep giving out penalties all the time. This is, you know, they really don't want to do that. But I think it is getting to the stage where they will have to step in. And, uh, you know, we're seeing this every week now. You've got to be careful with penalties, I think, because, you know, rafts of penalties. Didn't we get to a stage, Harry, and you're going to help me with this, in Formula One where you had like a 153 grid place penalty <laughs> oh, because you've oh. got a new motor or a new this or a new that. I mean, it, it, it got to a point where everybody went, what? I think at one point Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso in the McLaren when they were struggling with their Honda engine had a uh, a 50 place grid penalty and they'd qualified last already so and you're not carrying that through to the next race either so it's just a pointless penalty. Yeah, I think that um, it, we we can do without getting to that situation but um but certainly I think something more needs to be done. And in the point of not just safety in the point of fairness. I think Alicia Spargo Alicia Spargo you know he can be a bit he can come across as a bit of a whinger. He wears his heart on his sleeve and, and you, you're always going to get honestly what he's thinking, which, which some people will admire and others won't. Um, but the point is you're always going to hear it from a leash and he does have a point, you know, it should be dealt with in a better way. And Pete, that, you know, you're right about the each sector, you know, they have the ability to be able to see whether somebody is dawdling in each sector, you know, electronically add that together with, what they've got now from a visual point of view as well. And you can tell whether somebody is genuinely slow through a sector because they've run off the track or whatever it might be. You know, the excuse used to be, oh, I've outbraked myself. I'll come back on the track again. It was it was a good old feigning of, 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 of you know, I've, I've got in a bit of a wobble, so I'll go off the track now just as he waits for the next rider to go through so he can follow him. You know, is this that kind of gamesmanship? Well, I think that we've, we've certainly got the technology nowadays to be able to spot a faker if there's one out there. Um, start dolling out a penalty and believe me management in MotoGP will soon smack their riders into shape because unlike Moto3 where where I said before they're like children you don't seem to be able to put any rule to, to make them to adhere to they just there's always some naughty little Johnny that sits at the back of the class and gives you aggravation but in MotoGP it's it's levels of professionalism higher than just about any other class um, and, and once those penalties are, are, have come up, riders will, riders will listen. They, they, they will adhere to whatever the, the, the actual uh, ruling is. And, you, and it will rule it out straight away, I believe. But it seems like they've let them get away with it. And of course, <laughs> riders, again, with the child type analogy, once a child gets away with something, you know he's going to push the boundary to the next level. <laughs> and, and that's where we seem to be at the minute with MotoGP and... Uh, this dawdling uh, syndrome. 
Yeah, and it's a conversation we spoke so much about last year, as you say, that if they can do it, they'll just keep doing it until they're told not to. Um, all right, well, it's uh, a weekend off for uh, MotoGP, and then it returns uh, back in Europe in Portimao, Portugal. Uh, so the standings at the moment in MotoGP, it's now an Bastini, as we said, leading the way with 61 points ahead of Alex Rins on 56, and Alicia Spargro uh, rounds out the top three in Moto2. Celestino Vietti leads with 70 points ahead of Ayagura and Tony Arbolino on 54 and 56 points apiece. And in Moto3, Dennis Foggia now leads the championship with 74 points ahead of Sergio Garcia and Andrea Minu. They've got 58 and 41 points respectively. But the standings uh, everyone is keen to know about, of course, are our predictions. Uh, now... It's not, it's not good news for me, sadly. Um, Keith, you got another point in the bag because you did get Rins on the podium in the wrong position, but you got him on there. Um, your other, you also predicted Bagnaia and Paula Spargro, but they were absent in this case. Pete, you went for Martin Bagnaia and Alex Rins, so you do get a point on the board. So Keith gets a point and has now three in total to take, well, to extend his championship lead. Pete now gets a point on the board with one. And unfortunately, <laughs> I'm still last with zero points after my Martin, uh, Mir and Binder. Uh, Binder, where were you, mate? Where were you? You really outdone me there. Um, so, yes, unfortunately, no improvements there. Let us know how you got on as well uh, in, in, the, uh, in your own point standings in the comments below. Um, but I think uh, we'll save the predictions for uh, a week's time. Uh, but we will be back. So uh, make sure you're tuned in across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis uh, across the next couple of weeks. And then, as I say, we will be back next week to preview all things Portimao. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section or tweet Instagram or Facebook us. Just search Crash MotoGP. Please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well. And we shall see you right back here next week. My thanks, as always, to Pete McLaren and Keith Ewan. I've been Harry Benjamin. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.